Welcome to the 525 Records Podcast. When I rhyme, I'm divine. I'll realign your spine. After you hear a couple lines, you'll be building a shrine. To the guy watches TV till he falls asleep. To the guy who's making all MCs ball and weep. There's a B and a T and there's one more B. I'm in the basement drinking loose against the MGD. Trying to write about my life and how it gets to me. About how things really are and how they're meant to be. People in and out my life and then they fade away. Why can't I say things to make them stay? You know the girls call me Johnny and the guys call me B. And my style trying to light so that all we see. It's my shadow all alone with the microphone. And my hands gripping tight so it hides the crow. And it might be no. I blow up like cell phones and my words are well honed, but I'm not well known. My guest today on the podcast is none other than the legendary Portland MC, Walkin' Fuss. He's got a brand new record out. It's called The Stallion. It should be out by the time this podcast is released. We talk about all things CAC today. That was the duo group headed up by him and his brother that featured a pretty awesome ensemble cast of other Portland MCs. We get into Sticks Downey and, uh, of course, the Walkin' Fuss solo career. Super excited to have him on the podcast today. Welcome, Walking Fuss. There's a feeling of absolute calm, as if I were drifting into perfect sleep, leaving behind any cares or any fears. It's so beautiful, a feeling I could almost cry. And then, way in the distance, I see someone. Walking Fuss, welcome to the 525 Records podcast. Yeah, thank you. Glad to have you. I'm excited to be here. It's, it's been a while since I've done something like this. Uh, and it's been a while since I've talked about a bunch of this stuff. So I got to say, you know, Sly Records is one of the main inspirations for me doing what I do with 525 Records. Really? You you guys made it look easy back when... <laughs> Starting a web page was not that easy. I mean, there was no Squarespace. It, uh, God, it not was, even close, right? I mean, that's what I'm super curious about is talk me through that process of starting Sly Records. What was it like <laughs> getting that website going? Um, so Sly Records had been, you know, a name uh, that my brother had used to put out tapes and when he was in high school. He and I were in high school, and my brother is um, E-Rock slash Biff. Pokoroba, who is my partner in CAC. Um, and he had started Sly Records in high school um, as a, just as a name um, after Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> I don't know if we ever talk about that much, but my brother was a, uh, he still is a big Stallone fan. And so Sly Records was the, the name that he picked for his label. He and I were in high school together for one year when he was a freshman and I was a senior. And then, um, after that I moved to Eugene and he was still in Salem, um, making music and stuff. And he was making, uh, some tapes with Matt Fargo, pretty to look at. And he put out, a, um, the first Sly records release is a compilation of bands that, uh, people he was friends with in high school and stuff like that. We started recording the CAC album, man, I don't remember when I was like, we need to get a website. Cause it was, it was, it was 1999 or 2000. And so the internet was there, you know, and it had been there for like 1994 is when I really remember the internet kind of becoming a thing. Um, but you still couldn't really do anything. I mean, I didn't know how to like build anything on it. And like MySpace wasn't a thing. There was no social networks. There was really, it was kind of tough to like, if you wanted to have a web presence, you had to make it. You had to code HTML. <laughs> yeah. And so, well, that's probably given me a little more credit than 
I deserve because I used a program called Dreamweaver. We had a friend. He's on the he's on the CAC record uh, half and half, and he was um, kind of an entrepreneur, and he was juiced in with, uh, or he was more in touch with sort of internet stuff and things like that that were going on than we were as far as like how that stuff worked, and so he helped us buy a domain name. I've owned that slyrecords.com name for 20 years now or something, I think. Which is funny because at the time it was like, oh, we'll just go get it. And we did. We just went and got it. You know, we just like bought slyrecords.com for nine bucks or whatever. And I remember I went to that bookstore that was across from the warehouse out in Clackamas. It's not there anymore. Neither of those places are there anymore. Um, it was a borders or something like that. And I just, I bought a book that was either like how to build a website or like how to use, no, actually I had both. I had this big fat dream weaver book and I had just a book on the basics of like building a website and putting it on the internet. And I just read the shit out of those books and sort of taught myself how to use dream weaver. You guys made it look easy. It's not as easy as it was. No, it took, dude, I spent, Oh God, I spent so many nights working on that website and just, well, because it's just like anything else too. It's like, once I got the first version of it built, I was like, oh, this is amazing. I mean, we were just so excited to like be like, I remember like getting pictures up on the internet of us. And I was just like, whoa, like nobody else was doing that, you know? Cause it, like you had to, it just wasn't easy back then. Um, These were the days of dial-up connections. It's hard to transport yourself back into the world of 2001. Oh man, I even I forgot about that. It's like when when uh, you know because if um, if you're building a page in Dreamweaver for a website or whatever, you would do your edits and then you'd have to upload it back to the site. And it's like, man, yeah, with a with a dial-up connection, it took <laughs> you know five or ten minutes. I feel like to just get another page up to do an update on it or whatever. And so it was just, that's the thing is like, it was, it was time consuming, not just the work, but also just the waiting. And anybody who remembers the internet 20 years ago, remembers that just waiting for pictures to load and waiting for, you know, and all those annoying like flash intros that websites used to have and stuff. And, um, I always hated those flash intros so that we both did Eric and I both did. And so we kind of were just like, let's just make a simple site. We just had a couple ideas of like, you know, we want, well, the first thought was like, if we're going to do this music and if we're going to put out a record, we need a way to sort of have a home base to tell people about it, you know, um, <laughs> which I know doesn't seem like super like a revolutionary idea right now. But um, like I said, I do remember being really excited about being on the Internet. Like we had that website we had the slyrecords.com, which I was so happy about. Um, we had, you know, we could update it every week and talk about the shows that we had coming up and um and then I gave my, then we gave ourselves an excuse to update it every week by doing the, the weekly waste. The weekly waste was incredible. Yeah. yeah. And I ended up doing that for not steady, but pretty steady. And I ended up with doing that for 500 weeks, I want to say. Um, but I think you hit it right on the head where you said, you know, it doesn't seem that revolutionary now, but you know, to, to go back in time to the world in 2001, where a JPEG, a low res JPEG <laughs> loaded, you know, line by line, like a satellite image from NASA or something, Oh man, it was revolutionary. And to do it on your own, nobody was really, you know, the DIY music 
scene. You know, it was the early days of, uh, you know, having a web presence, admin and all that stuff. Yeah. And we, it worked, you know what I mean? We found out cause it was like, it was still during that time when people were like, they're on the internet, but people were still like, what do I, what do I look at on here? You know? And so we had, it was before I think it, the internet became such a, you know, huge mess and that you just get distracted at every turn because, and that was also part of stuff loading slow. It's like, you couldn't really engage with it in that way. Just having pictures in a world of text, you know, the web back then, right. pretty much text and just having pictures was incredible. And, and there was, you know, getting pictures up on the website was, it was like, we had to be careful with how much storage we were using. And, um, you know, if we put too many pictures on a page then it, it would, it would take too long to load and people wouldn't want to deal with it <laughs> stuff. And and that was, I don't know, that was just like everything else back then though, that it's like kind of the DIY, it was just part of, you just had to work a little bit more for it, you know? Um, and obviously we couldn't pay anybody to do the work and I didn't want to, I wanted to be in charge of it anyway. You know, we wanted to have this thing that was ours where we could talk about our shows, talk about our music and also talk about the fun shit that we just talked about all the time anyway, you know? People, yeah, people come up to me, oh man, what do you, or people, you know, if I was late updating it, I used to try and do it every Wednesday or something. And, um, people give me shit if it didn't go up till Friday. And I was like, oh, people are actually <laughs> into this. Engaged. You know? Yeah. You guys hit the engagement thread before engagement was even a thing. That's why the message boards were so key. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those message boards, man. I, uh, those were, I think that was, that was, that was, um, those were hot for a while. I was pawing through it today, and uh, I looked at one. It was Biff's sex tape. <laughs> Hilarious little, like, photo bucket. Like, really simple gif. Oh, know? God, man. I remember that. I mean, I don't remember the exact uh, content of it, which is probably fine. But um, I do remember that. <laughs> yeah. Right? And that was even... That was probably... That post was probably from 10 years ago or something like that. That was even when <laughs> gifs weren't, <laughs> like, that common. And the genius of the previews was it would suck you into the thread, you know? It was yeah. you know, Biff sex tape, then you hit preview, and it's... <laughs> then you're sitting there watching this. And then you get down and, you know, you laugh. Crude um, line drawing or whatever. Uh, well, and that was the other thing, is that we would we would look at the websites of other, like, you know, musicians that we were into or whatever, and maybe not necessarily local ones, but, you know, the big time... Um, artists that we were into and their websites were, you know, nobody's website was very exciting back then. And the beef we always had is that you'd check it. And then a month later you check it and it would just be exactly the same. And so it just gave you no incentive to engage with that at all. You know what I mean? Because it, it, if you just sort of kept saying the scene, the same thing. And so that was the weekly, that was the idea behind the weekly waste was like, let's, make it so people want to come back and check it out. But it also kind of forced us to be engaged with it and be on a schedule with it. At the time, I didn't really even look that f far forward with it, but um, it was smart to have like a structure in place for it and have an idea for new content that was going to be up there every week. And then we could e even tie that into what was going on in our real lives or what was going on with the uh, CAC's music and our shows and, and stuff like that. And, um, it's fun. That whole site is still up on the internet too. Um, slyrecords.com. Slyrecords.com. And you can go, um, if you go to the archives, all the weekly waste is there. 
I didn't even realize the board was still live. Man, I mean, yeah, we used to have some fun on there. There's there hasn't been a ton of updates to the website in the last like five years, honestly. But the, oh, that's the best part of it, though. It's like a time machine. It is, and you can if you search around, it's even more of a time machine. There's a way to get back to the like the parts of the really old site. Well, speaking of 2001, I mean, the one that kicked it all off, the legendary Coolest Cucumbers release. Yeah, and like I said, that was the impetus for all of this. We were just, you know, we were wrapped up in recording that record. And just the more we, it started coming, it's, you know, we kind of started out just dicking around and doing some stuff. And then it was like, oh, okay, we, we're going to, we're going to do this. And the more we got into it and the more we invested in it, the more we wanted to do it right and do a real release with a real website and all that stuff. And it ended up being a way to sort of promote our album release show that we had. And then it sort of went from there. Um, we were just, <laughs> we were just excited about all of it, you know, and what well, we were too. And, you know, there's a famous uh, scene. I don't, I forget who's filming at Mark's Halloween party. It's your second or third show. The video you just put up on the walk and plus YouTube channel, which is awesome. But uh, he's interviewing Seth Gibson, the legendary <laughs> Seth right. Gibson. And he's Seth is just going on about how, you know, he has the CD in his car and it just never leaves. And that was how it was for all of us. Because just as, as hard as it is to imagine a world in 2001 with the internet, this was the era where you had a CD player in your car and you would leave one CD in for <laughs> weeks at a time. Definitely. And for so many of us after that record dropped, that was our CD. It never left the CD player. Every time we got in a car to go anywhere, that's what we'd be listening to. And, you know, the thing about it was is it was so unique, you know. It, you felt like you were onto something that was a secret that nobody <laughs> else knew about because you guys were doing something that nobody else was doing. You know, there's a million bands in Portland. There was only one CAC. Yeah, so that that 8-track machine, it's I think still a mystery to me. It was not easy to figure out how to record on. I mean, you know, if you – there just wasn't any – especially now with like when you, if you're used to recording on your computer and stuff now it's everything's so visual and you can just see all of it and it's almost like cut and paste and it's so easy now and with that it was yeah on these discs i remember that we were limited on the the amount of space we could use and so it's like it was better than four track cassette recording but it was also not perfect and well, one of the things you guys made look easy is in addition to having actual beats and sequencing is there was a, a, a little bit of live drums on that record, which is the hardest thing in the world to do home recording wise. Yeah. And I know that, um, and if you talk to my brother, you can, you can ask him more about this. I know he was never super happy with the way there's only live drums, I think on one song. I remember him saying that he kind of regretted putting that on there just because it sounded out of place with everything else, you know, I would totally disagree. I thought it blended seamlessly and that was, oh. you know, a real challenge that, you know, you guys knocked out of the park and, you know, definitely you rock on the production tip was uh, insane. You know, I mean, that's every, that's going to the basement every day, making coffee every day. Like I can't imagine how you guys did those vocal tracks. I'm imagining a lot of uh, punching in, punching out, you know, maybe you got through a whole song in one take, but I mean, talk me through those vocal tracks. What was that like? It is definitely punching in and punching out. And we would mostly do four bars at a time or do like, if we had a 16 bar verse we were doing, we would do four bars, skip four bars, do the other four bars and then skip four bars and then do it in reverse. You know what I mean? 
Um, that that's what made the live performances that much more impressive is, you know, when you're down in the basement and you're at your leisure, <laughs> perfectly relaxed and comfortable going take after take, you get up on stage and you're in front of a room full of rabid screaming people. And yeah. it's like, you know, it's a miracle. You guys like um, the best thing I can compare it to is kind of Van Halen. Like <laughs> Eddie would go in the studio and he would do these take after take solos and then the engineers and producers would Frankenstein them together. Yeah. And oftentimes he was at way different sides of the fretboard and then he had to learn the solo <laughs> and then try to play live. That's the best analogy I have for the CAC vocal tracking process. But the thing that is really impressive is just the sheer amount of lyrics and bars and words. Like I'm imagining you have a national archive of notebooks. <laughs> I, you know what I do somewhere. I, um, man, I know I have those notebooks somewhere. I do. We just like fast rap, you know? <laughs> and, uh, it's funny though. We, we, I do remember, and I was watching, watching the videos of, um, that show at Bam's house. And, uh, I put up a video of our very first show, um, at chopsticks. And you can see in both of those that we're nervous and, it was because we had sort of, yeah, we had been in the studio recording these songs and then it wasn't that we didn't think we could pull them off live. We just knew it was going to be kind of hard. And then we had rehearsed a bunch, you know, I think before we played our first show and I can see these little things where I can see like Eric filling in or me filling in a line for him or him filling in a line for me where we must've gone through and rehearsed and been like, man, I'm running out of breath, like right here. So I just need you to like finish this. And by the time we did, you know, we ended up playing a ton of shows and after probably the first like five or 10, we got into a rhythm where we just, we knew when the other person needed help. That was the genius of the two of you. I mean, so many rappers are solo acts. They get up with a backing track. It's just them, especially when you're doing as many words as you guys are doing. It was really impressive live. That was one of my questions. I was like, did you ever come close to passing out in one of those shows? <laughs> I mean, if you ever saw me on stage, you know, I sweated through most of those shows. Um, God, there were some, there was, a, I remember playing a couple shows in the summer. I worked at a, um, at a bar downtown called the boiler room. They didn't have air conditioning down there. And I would, I worked in that environment and it would be super hot. And that was just like sitting there, but man, if we played shows and we, I remember we played a show in the middle of July down there, I absolutely sweated through my shirt. When, once you get up there and just start going, it's sort of, it's just happening. You know, Adrenaline. You, don't, you don't think about passing out. You don't think about it's weird. There, there are times where I played shows where I was sick, you know, like with like a cold or the just feeling like trash. And it's like, as soon as you get up there, it's just nothing fucking matters. You know, every song was like a 10 round boxing match cardio wise, you know? And then you guys, a lot of times you wouldn't have anybody rocking the CD player. It would just be back to back to back songs. It was, well, you know, because we, we used to, and I, I, I was, um, thinking about that. We played probably the first like 10 shows or something we played. Well, I don't know about that number, but some of the early shows we played, we would, yeah, have somebody running the CD player for our backing track and then have them, you know, maybe let a couple songs ride, but like stop and give us a break. And we played a show one night at Mount Tabor Theater Pub, Mount Tabor, you know, up on Hawthorne. I, I remember it. I think I was there. We played a show there and I don't remember who this guy was. I don't remember who we played with, but one of the other guys who played with us 
after our show, he was like, that was really good. And I was like, Oh, thanks. You know? And he was like, but you guys should not let the, the breaks happen for so long in between the songs. And I remember my first reaction was to kind of be like, she mind your own f- <laughs> business, you know, that was like my knee jerk reaction. And then afterwards I was like, you know, he's right. If we just like back to back to back, just, just a full, just don't even give anybody a break, you know, let's just try that. And we did. And we both, we kind of liked it because it just never stopped. We'd get up there and just go for 35 or 40 minutes, you know? And that was the pure crack for the audience. Yeah. Well, and the shows were more exciting when we did that. And I like it when bands do that in general, you know, I mean, we've all been to shows where there's just awkward moments and awkward breaks in between songs or the, the person with the microphone starts talking and you're just like, man, just get to it. You know, I just think if that guy could really get up there and try to even attempt to do what you guys are doing, I think he'd have a whole different angle on that. You know, <laughs> And this is why, you know, it was really tough for bands to follow you guys because you guys were so visually entertaining. The audience was so engaged and it was just so much going on so fast paced that, I mean, no mortal band could possibly follow you guys I mean, <laughs> where you're playing one chord for eight bars, you know, do, 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 and then you're, oh boy, I'm already falling asleep compared to the CAC show. I mean, it was pretty crazy. And it was just easier for us in general. I mean, if we were dealing with somebody with a, um, somebody who was running sound at a gig or whatever, and if we had to kind of talk to them while we were on stage, hey, can you stop the CD? Can you, okay, press play or whatever. And I realized like that was just kind of goofy looking on stage and, and that was one of the big things that we learned, you know, we learned a ton just doing all this stuff. Um, like I said, learned about websites, learned about, but it's like, you can't learn any, any, any of these things until you go out and play shows, you know, and just do it and see what it's like and find out all the things you're doing wrong and the things you're doing right. And figuring out what, um, just makes the best show, you know? And I remember when we finally just were like, let's just, we'll just let it ride. We'll just play. We'll just do 35 minutes straight. It was almost a relief because we knew, we just knew exactly what was going to happen. We didn't give ourselves a chance to like sort of kill the show dead by just talking or whatever. Um, and yeah, I still look back on, on that revelation fondly. Cause I, I, as soon as we started playing those shows where we were just barreling through it, I was like, this is it, man. This is what we need to do. Talk me through those chopstick shows because wasn't Nathan running the CD player? Wasn't he kind of the karaoke master at chopsticks? Yeah. So, um, Onug, Nate was, he was the KJ at chopsticks. Yeah. During that time when we chopsticks was, it was, um, when I first moved to Portland in 98, I lived on 24th and Stark and chopsticks was like four blocks away. And Nate moved up to Portland, uh, with his girlfriend and they lived in a house. that was just like two blocks on the other side of chopsticks. So it was pretty much right in between our two places. And we just met there all the time. And he somehow he's at some point ended up getting a job there, uh, as karaoke host. And then, like I said, I was a karaoke host downtown too. Um, uh, you know, we wanted to do a record release show when our CD came out and it's kind of tough to do that. If you have never played a show before and you don't really, um, you know, like I said, I'd only been in Portland in a couple of years or for a couple of years at that point, And, I knew people, but not well enough to, I mean, we, we could have probably gotten a gig opening for somebody, you know, at the Ash Street or something, but we kind of wanted to do a big show that was with our friends too. And so we worked out a deal with um, Dave Chow, the 
terrific gentleman who still owns chopsticks. It's in a different spot now, but he's still there. Um, and he said, we could do an early show. And so we brought the widgets and my brother's band go for glory played and Nate's band, the nudicles played, I believe. And then we went on at, um, you know, it was October. And so it's funny. You look at the show now and it's like, it's darker and, and it looks like a nighttime show, but I think it was 7 PM or something, you know, I think it was set maybe eight. Cause they were, cause David was like, yeah, you can totally do the show. You just can't cut into the karaoke time or whatever. I was like, Oh yeah, fine. Um, but that was great. Cause he just gave us the whole place and he trusted us. Um, and then a ton of people came out. And so he was stoked and he was like, yeah, I'll do this again. A you ton know, of so, people is an understatement. I mean, it was like watching the Rolling Stones at the Rose Garden. I mean, it was, <laughs> you know, every you know, it's funny. I was, I was watching that tape. I'm like, man, there's faces there. Where I was like, Oh God, that person was there. And, um, there was a lot of people there. Yeah, man, we were nervous. It's funny looking at that video. I could, my, my brother and I were scared shitless because really nobody had, I don't think we, we hadn't played the album for really anybody that we knew except for the people who were on it and our girlfriends and, you know, a couple other friends here and there. But again, this was like before you could upload music and stuff to the internet. And so there was really, you know, nobody, it wasn't like, oh yeah, I saw you on YouTube or whatever. It was like, no, nobody had heard anything. So all these people friends and friends of friends or whatever i think a lot of them came just to be like just to see what it was what it was going to be like you know and who um, who was behind the probably vhs camcorder filming i uh that was that was half and half um, he did such a great job with the post show interviews you know you, you guys rock this whole set and then he's so <sighs> meticulous and diligent every what'd you think of the show the audience reaction was incredible. I mean, watching that those post show interviews is like one of the best parts. I think to me. Oh, absolutely agreed. I, um, my brother and I were talking about that uh, in the last couple of weeks. I think, and I am always like so thankful that he did that because I would have never, you know, it was my video camera. I had bought a video camera like a year before or something because um, I wanted to. Uh, well, I wanted to video. I actually, I, I remember thinking that I needed to get a videotape of, or I needed to get on video like our first show just to have it. And um, so yeah, you can see in those other videos. It was just on a tripod or whatever. But then we started playing. He grabbed the camera, and it's it's great because it's like really you get a, a good view of everybody and everything that's going on. And it's cool. It makes you feel like you're there. Um, and then, yeah, and he did the camera work, I think at the, Hall at the Halloween gig too. Cause it's sort of the, there's um, sort of those same post show uh, interviews with people. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is rad. Back in uh, that time frame, I was uh, working at a place called the Hollywood liquor store in Hollywood, Portland. Uh, there was a venue right next door called the Blackbird. It doesn't exist anymore, but I was a cashier there, and we used to have to give bottles of makers for whatever band was coming in that night. And uh, one night, you know, the manager comes in, and it's uh, it's you guys and the Buttery Lords. Yeah. And which is, you know, one of the few shows I remember, you know, because, you know, in the early days, it was a lot of your friends. But, you know, by that time, this is 2002, you know, kind of maybe mid-2002. And, I mean, you guys, that, that show was packed. You know, the Butteries killed it. You guys killed it. And, one of my favorite shows for sure. Yeah, that was a, that was a big show. That was our biggest show up to that point. Um, there was a group called the Sucka MCs who were from Iowa, I want to say. And they were coming through town. And so 
I think, and that was the f- first show we played with the Buttery Lords too. I think that might've been when we met the Buttery Lords who we, I'm still great friends with all those dudes and we ended up doing songs with them and playing a ton of shows with them. Um, and they're great. They're great dudes. Um, they, I think maybe, maybe Nate hooked up the show or something. I don't know. But Sucka MCs was this group led by this gentleman named Cool Z who is still making music and he's actually on uh, the Sticks Downey record that I did much a little bit later. Um, but he's still making music. He's still making great rap music and he does other kinds of music too. Um, C-O-O-L-Z-E-Y. Definitely worth checking out. But uh, yeah, that was the first show we played where there was like a backstage in a green room and uh, I remember being really nervous for that show too. I remember my brother being really nervous for that show. I think we, cause there were a lot of people there and it was one of the first times that we'd actually like, you know, sort of, that was an early show for us, but it was one of the, one of the first ones we'd done where there was like a big stage and, you know, elevated stage bar off the hook. You couldn't buy a drink. It was man. So that packed. venue was so great. And I think everybody knew it wasn't going to last just because that building is nothing ever lasts there. Um, and I remember everyone saying, and I can vouch for this, is that the, they were too nice to the bands who played there. I mean, we got paid, you know, nothing crazy, but like more than I, we probably should have gotten paid for that show. And I remember thinking like, man, this place is awesome, you know? And I remember hearing that that was sort of part of the reason they went under was because they were actually paying the bands what they deserved. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, it was crazy because the the you know manager would come in every night. I need a bottle of Makers, yeah. a bottle of whatever uh, Jameson for the band yeah. tonight, and I was like, "Geez!" And yeah. it was I, I went there to see a bunch of shows and and playing there was super fun. Yeah, and I remember them being super nice and just such a unique little spot too, like on that corner with that weird weird shaped building. And yeah, that liquor store is a dispensary now. I think. That's one of my favorite Sticks Downey songs is uh, Do You Know featuring Cool Z. I mean, that's that's a sweet track. And uh, I mean, the Sly Records discography is it's just too big. We could literally talk about it all night. Um, I mean, some one of my favorites when you talk about live CSC, too, is that live at the tonic because, you know, you have these live videos from Chopsticks. And, you know, there's a live video from BAMS, but the tonic was actually recorded through the board and the audio is like, yeah, it's pretty decent. good. Actually. The low end is there. That was a big show. That was, um, there were a lot of people at that show. I remember if you look up, there's a CAC video on YouTube for, um, the song Diz Hicks, that footage is from the same night as that live recording. I'm actually working on getting that raw footage from the dude who shot it. He says he might have it. Um, trying to sort of put it like a, get some archival stuff together for the 20th anniversary of cool as cool as cucumbers is next year and so I was, i've been sort of digging into my stuff and finding some i still have some other um rare video that i am gonna put out at some point no more full shows but just some other clips that i have the diz hicks video is a must see if you haven't seen it definitely check it out there's a great edit in there i don't know who shot and edited it but they were a genius at the time because there's this you get biff flying through the air doing this karate kick and then it it does this cross dissolve right into him jumping doing a karate kick on stage it is the most perfect edit and dude again like in 2003 or whatever that was like unheard of i remember 
it was a friend of ours named Trip Trip Ross. He still makes videos. He still makes great videos, and he just did that. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't even know if he told me he was going to do that. And he just came to me, and, and I don't even know. I remember how he gave me the video, but he put that whole thing together, and I was just like, "Damn, dude!" Like this was. I was really advanced for the time, you know. For sure. And, you know, the best part about the Live of the Tonic from 2004 is that it featured a lot of those songs live that you guys were planning on releasing on the yeah. second record, which uh, is the only place you're going to hear them live. Um, the the two records you guys did post-haste or posthumously, whatever you want to call it, there's two of them, Simple Tricks and mm-hmm. uh, The Heel Turn, both, both released in 2012. I was hoping you could talk me through that 2005-2004 time frame and what happened with the Boston people? What happened with that record deal? Can we get into that? Yeah, because there's not really that much to talk about. It 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 was it was a friend of a friend who was a big supporter of us. And how did he? I don't even remember how he was. He was a friend of a friend. Anyway, he knew a guy in Boston who was a uh, was starting some sort of media company, and he was like. He, I remember telling us, you know, I got this friend Joe in Boston and he's, he really likes you guys and he wants to, he wants to maybe do something with you. And we were like, oh, okay, you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, and then he flew out here with his partner and like took us out to dinner and we spent a weekend together talking and they were a fan of the music. And then we, but there was, there were some issues with, I think, you know, they wanted to do everything by the books and we had a minor threat sample on the record. And I remember they actually contacted Ian McKay and he approved it. We were talking about how we were gonna, they basically wanted to re-release the coolest cucumbers record and let us like fix a couple things that we didn't like on there. And the, well, see, this is where I got to stop you because when you say fix a couple things, when you listen, when you listen to Simple Tricks and Nonsense, it, it seems like you guys re-recorded almost all of those verses. Am I crazy? Um, no, I think we did. And all the new songs, Sweet Stan Lane, Diz Hicks. But this is, you know, it was uh, it was going to be an epic sophomore release, you know, after the CAC kill his cucumbers release you know the thing about you guys on that first record is the intelligence level i mean you're you're quoting socrates you're talking about bukowski (laughs) i mean really intellectual literate stuff you know you're staying away from all the cliched things and i'm this is a great segue because i actually have a 525 listener fan question specifically about your lack of hooks and is was it intentional oh yeah 100%. 100%. But the, you know, the second record, it was going to be so good. And uh, that 2004, 2005 time frame, you guys are still at it. You're still playing shows. You got all this recorded material. And then it takes seven years to get Yeah, released. I think part of it was we, we did get caught up thinking that we were going to sort of re-release the album with some newer songs um, with those guys from Boston. And so we were focusing on that for a while and sort of rethinking some stuff. But also, we just kept recording. I mean, if you if you check out the the Heel Turn album, I mean, that's got almost it's got twenty three songs on it, and those were all stuff that we recorded post Coolest Cucumbers, and just never. I don't know what happened. We just never got them solidified into a second record, and I don't. 
my brother might have a better recollection of why that didn't happen. Um, I mean, a lot of it was just life stuff. You know, we just were getting older and my brother was getting married and he eventually moved down to Salem. We just never, we never even came close to getting the second record out. Like we, well, the, the simple tricks and nonsense one, I mean, that is, that was pretty much, we must've just been focusing on that and just trying to, we were thinking that was going to come out and then we were going to follow it up. And then, at some point, the guys in Boston were just like, never mind. Just to remaster 18 songs in an actual mastering house would have you know, been a pretty Yeah, penny. and they paid for that. I remember them. That was part of... And see, we got to that point. I remember we... It's Yeah, it really... It almost... It like almost happened, and then all of a sudden, it just sort of fizzled out. And I think that may have led to us sort of like, ugh, you know, just feeling like we had sort of been working towards this thing and like kind of not, cause I remember I, I was really suspect of the whole thing from the beginning. Cause I was like, Bonnie, what? And then when it sort of became real, it was like, Oh, all right. Well maybe cause you know, it was like, man, maybe we could like go on a little tour or something like that. They were talking about that. I was like, that's not crazy. You know? Um, most bands have this little tight compressed window of insane creative drive and inspiration. Usually yeah. about four years, you know? And if you're lucky, you have some recordings after you break up and everybody goes their separate ways. I know so many bands. One of them that comes to mind is Rasmussen. These guys practice at the house, you know, for a couple of years and they had this whole set down of these incredible songs and they never recorded a record. They broke up and uh, nobody will ever hear those songs again. They just vanish. And they didn't even record like demos or anything like that. I've got a couple of uh, basement home recordings that I'm working on, but yeah, nothing ever professional, you know, which is why when you do go make an effort to make a professional presentation, it stands the test of time. I mean, you can listen to CAC today and it's, uh, it really ages well. I think yeah, thanks. You know, it's getting better with time for sure because of its, it's got a unique value. It's not like every other indie hipster band in Portland. You know, you guys are doing something that nobody else was doing. I mean, even the Butteries, like you guys had really different yeah. styles. You know, the same kind of uh, feeling, atmosphere. But that's what was great about playing shows with them is that we were similar, but not. And so I thought we complemented each other well. Um, and like I said, I just love those guys. We had a good time playing with them. You know, we ended up doing, uh, there's a song on, I think it's on the heel turn called mega force that they're on. And, um, I love that song. I was thinking of, um, <laughs> I meant to mention this earlier, but, uh, half and half, like I said, he was sort of, he ran in these like entre entrepreneurial circles and he was in this whole different world than the rest of us. I mean, we were like in my brother's basement making music and just being scumbags. And he was trying to get an e-health company off the ground with his brother. And he was already married and like, he was just, and he's only a year older than I am, but he, we were just in different worlds, but he, um, he was super excited about the music. And I, I think he, there was somebody that he knew in one of his entrepreneurial groups or maybe somebody that he worked with who, um, was maybe interested in, in, in supporting musicians or putting out a record or doing something like that. And so he took, and maybe he had a copy of our CD before, before we released it or something, but he took it to his friend and he was all excited about it. And he told us that the guy said, uh, this just sounds like a couple of dudes like sitting around in their, I don't know if he said basement or you might've said bedroom or room or something like that. Just like looking at the walls and then, and, and, 
looking at the posters on their wall and then just writing about that or whatever. And I was like, uh huh. <laughs> you know? I'm a minor threat on the MIC, and I'm like a genius because you don't test me, you underestimate me, and you get embarrassed because I'll be here forever like Robert Parrish. I'm like a sword because I'm coming with a double edge. One side that likes you, and one side that says, if you step to be dog and say what's up, we'll offer you a warm glass of shut the hell up. And I'm the greatest MC that you never heard because I'm wider than the underarms of Larry Bird. Don't be absurd, try testy rock, beat dog, call scales like black socks. And I'm breaking rhymes down like a cardboard box, you catch a verbal beat down like a sack of rocks. A beat dog's coming hard like petrified wool. Did you know I'd bring the double rhymes? I knew I would. Oh, well, it's understood that the CNC team is bending the rules of this hip hop scene. So if you like, just call me Johnny V, cause I put together what I call the dream team. So call me Dino Bravo. Call me Brutus Beefcake. And I rhyme so fast like the speed you take. And I don't chase the dragon. And I don't ride the snake. Amped up on rhymes, so I'm wide awake. And MCs always fake, like the girlfriend's nails. And the rhymes are cheap attack you like a sidewalk set. Yeah. And they're overpriced, like vintage clothes. And the south's transparent, like pantyhose. I'm like Ray Quick, cause I blow up shit when I'm on the mic. It's a rebel drop kick, and it makes me sick. And I'm working all day like Dante Hicks I'm a magician with my bag of tricks And my rhyme style's fat like Jiminy Glick And you all brought the paint, but I wasn't invited And I make these rhymes up faster than I can ride them. So don't try and bite them or I'll make you blush Cause I'm like Orsoda cause I leave you crushed And I got a big brother like in 1984 We bring it like the UPS right to your door So yo, here's some more as I shoot and score These MCs are played out like Paulie Shaw So hey buddy, I'm coming like a car wreck Whiplash so bad it'll break your neck You're like David cat. your jokes are funny I'm laying on the law like my name is Jack Tony And I'm playing CAC while you always pumping yawning Since you're crying out, yo, see the legs, Johnny So bring a body bag, I'm waxing on and off MCs are filled with feathers cause they're just that soft And I'll be drinking Caucasians like that dude Lebowski I'll be drinking wild turkey like Charles Bukowski I'm like the Halo Bendis, I don't make no junk And like Raymond Carver, I'll be writing drunk I'm like Super Chunk when I'm tossing seeds I'm like Meth the Cow cause I'm all you need And yo, Pete the Speak, you ain't hearing me And I'm putting MCs in therapy They're all scared of me cause I'm on the scene Cause I'm clearing things up like a histamine I know what you mean because I've been there too But I've never been in jail like most of the world I'm like Ishtar, cause I've never been seen In control of the mic since I was 17 Like Charlie Sheen, I just part do Is it seems a crew, I got the beat summer brew So who's afraid of me? Well you all should be Because I might hulk out like Bill Bixby My rhymes so deep, they make you stop and think While I knock your teeth out like Leon Spinks So call me Marvin Hagel, call me Sugar Ray Knocking out MCs with a verbal display No matter what you think, we ain't going away And this is what we call our salad days I've heard that a million times. I never realized that was a minor threat sample. So that little guitar part right there, it's just the Yeah, just that little bit, man. And I um yeah, you have to ask my brother about that. I remember that there was some it was a hassle for him to even like get that sample to work because of the limitations of the eight track or something. I don't know. Shit was difficult back then. <laughs> man, that's yeah, I hadn't heard that song in a while. That's a good one. But that, like, that's an example of, like, I know we sat down and, you know, it's like we had done some songs where he rapped and then I rapped and or vice versa. But then we were like, oh, let's do one where we just go back and forth, you know? And then we kind of realized, like, oh, man, we should have done more like that because doing that song live was super fun because we could just go back and forth and not, um, you, you know, run out of breath trying to do 20 bars or whatever. And I, you know, I can't remember how I started Sticks Downy other than I just sort of realized that my brother and I weren't going to be making music together anymore and I wasn't done rapping. And I had um, sort of settled down a little bit. It was around the time that my now wife and I got together and I 
I started making beats. I bought a sampler and I had, was always, you know, scrounging through the dollar bins at, uh, everyday music or wherever 50 cent bins at everyday music. And I just started putting songs together and sort of realized I couldn't do it all on my own. So I got my friend, Joe Talik, who I used to be in a band with in high school. And he's also one of my oldest, dearest friends. Uh, he came in and did bass on it. And then I met this girl named Whitney through a friend and we ended up hitting it off and she wanted to be a part of the group. So she kind of became my hype girl and we worked on the, or I worked on the album a lot of it, mostly by myself for a couple of years and really spent a lot of time on it. And it was at a time in my life where I had sort of, uh, I was just shifting my focus on what I was dealing with myself. And so I was home a lot more and teaching myself to use logic on my computer to record and getting to know the sampler and just learning how to make beats and, I ended up spending a ton of time on it and was really proud of it. And I had Lee Marble from Buttery Lords master it. And uh, that's what I was going to ask. Oh, wait, um, did he master it? No. Fishboy Studios. Yeah. The, in the credits, there's uh, Carl and Lee. Okay. Fishboy. Lee did. Yeah. Let me get this right. Lee mixed it. That's what he did. And then Carl Saf mastered it. Carl Saf masters everybody's stuff. You just like mail him. That guy is. You see, if you start, if you, I've seen Carl Saf's name on so many albums now that he, he did mine 10 years ago. Nobody um, gives mastering enough credit, you know, to me, that's six downy when the bell changes hands. It's such a, uh, like a cross pollination of CAC and what would become the walk and fuss records. Because yeah. if you didn't know any better, you'd think maybe E-Rock did these beats, you know, they're so in the same vein. And, you know, the other thing I was going to say, just a big shout out to uh, Talik who played yeah. bass, man, there's some f- really awesome bass lines on that record. And, uh, yeah, just some really, really cool vocals and, you know, just the, the production quality, you know, it's kind of like the second CAC record where it got kicked up a notch. Yeah. All of a sudden the samples, the, the sampling is better. Everything just sounds better. The bass is there. It's, I mean, not better, but just, uh, in a different vein, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, sticks Downey would be, it's, it's kind of the best of both worlds. And it's also like those people like us that were missing those, second and third CSE records you actually had biff do a couple of guests guest spots on a couple of songs and oh, it's just it's such a beautiful blend of both worlds of the prior CSE recordings you know the new project and what would become walk and fuss so it was fun it was cool it was it was different um you know making music with my brother is the best because we you know obviously go way back and we just agree on so much stuff. And if we ever argue, we're, we're just free to argue with each other because we're brothers, you know, and we can talk through stuff really well. Um, so I was spoiled in that regard for a long time because having a partnership with him was relatively easy in the whole, you know, it's amazing that any band can ever stay together (laughs) for any amount of time, honestly. More than four years. And yeah, you know, if coming back for those sticks down and guest spots, it's a lot like, you know, Mike Tyson coming back into boxing. <laughs> I mean, it was epic. I thought. Um, yeah, I hope so. The songs that he's on on there were ones that very well could have been CAC songs or, you know, the wrestling sort of songs. And um, I honestly wish he was on that record a little bit more, but he's always been really resistant to digital 
like recording on his computer. He finally just started using GarageBand literally like a couple months ago and was like, oh, this is easy. I'm like, yeah, no shit. It's it's 2020. They've made this stuff really simple now. That's what I'm saying. The revolutionary nature of what you guys accomplished in 2001 from the DIY. We're going to make an album. We're going to put it out ourselves. We're going to record it on a brand new piece of technology, a digital eight in the basement. We're going to mix it. We're going to you know put it out ourselves and we're going to make our own website when nobody else is making websites. It wasn't as easy as it is today back then. I just think what you guys accomplished is very special. You're talking about archiving and saving everything. You know, your YouTube channel is so genius because you have all these old uh, wrestling tapes. And uh, if you haven't seen it, check out the Walk and Fuss uh, YouTube channel. He's got some, if you're into wrestling, you're going to really love it. Uh, there's some videos that have really blown up organically for you, like, uh, you know, the Rocket rocket Fuel video. And Oh, God, man. Those were some of the first things I ever uploaded to YouTube. There were some old wrestling tapes I had, um, stuff that, Eric and I actually recorded off TV when we were kids. And again, this was like before there was a ton of stuff, you know, now this stuff is all over YouTube or whatever, but, um, yeah, I uploaded some just wrestling. I know a couple of them have, you know, almost a hundred thousand views or something. That's also over the course of like 12 years. Dude, load the spaceship with rocket fuel has 250,000 views. Oh, does it really? there are several hundred thousand plus view videos and it's because you know you get older and you know you can't it's like a time machine you've, yeah. you've stumbled upon the time machine unless you have that vhs tape and you upload it i mean it's it just vanishes into the ether just like rasmussen yep i think it's beautiful one of my favorite videos on your youtube channel is the aerobicide video oh nice yeah that's like one of that's probably my newest or one of my newest songs Dude, I mean, I think it dropped last year, right? Like October yeah. last year. Yeah, so I've been putting out a song every Halloween for the last oh, 10 or 11 years, I want to say. Um, a couple of them were under the Sticks Downy name, the first couple. Actually, one of the Sticks Downy songs that I did for Halloween called Night of the Demons uh, has actually gotten some pretty decent views on there, too. And the director of that movie, the movie's from 1988, I want to say, uh, contacted me about putting that video on like a future DVD release or something. I don't know. I think that's going to happen. I feel like that was a while ago, but, um, that was kind of cool. Sticks Downey went on after the bell changed its hands to release a couple of singles in that sort of yeah. genre. I believe there's Chud, yep. uh, Chud two night of the demons, nine, seven, six evil. Yeah. Um, yeah, all good stuff that you got to check out on the uh, Walk and Fuss YouTube channel. Yeah, I think all my Halloween songs, most of my Halloween songs are on there. I made videos for most of them. Um, and then, yeah, when I started doing that, that was that was around, the, like the Six Downy record came out in 2009. And then I think by about 2012 or something, that would sort of run its course. And then I was... Um, 2013 saw the release of uninvited which is i think the first walking fuss yeah that makes sense and that was when i was like i'm just gonna start just calling myself myself that was the birth of walking fuss which yeah it was the birth of my solo shit the great heart puncher would follow that which is another epic release and then you know speaking of halloween that single for aerobicide which is the video is off the halloween album yep I mean, the discography is so deep. We could talk about it all night, but dude, what, tell me about the new album that's coming out. Yeah. Let's talk, let's talk about that. Um, this 
is actually the first rap album I've put out in a, probably since sticks downy, I guess. Um, it's a bunch of songs I've been working on for the last, honestly, like the last 10 years, the record's pretty much been, the record's been done for like three years. And then my wife and I had a kid and my life has just changed a lot since then. But I finally found the time to like get it mastered and get all the artwork done and everything. And basically it's a collection. It's kind of a, a, um, a meld of the great heart puncher. It's the great heart puncher. I don't rap on that record. There's 20, 20 some songs on there and it's all just my beats with wrestling samples over it. Cause I was just really into that at that point. And I liked what I was coming up with. And there's some songs like that on the new one. And then there's a bunch of rap songs on there too. And my brother's on a couple songs. I don't think there's any other guest. Is that right? Talik plays bass on one of the songs, which was like old sticks downy song. This is why I'm looking forward to this record so much because it's kind of like a rebirth of the ensemble. You know, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I wish we can have some samples. Uh, I can't wait for it to drop. When do you think it's going to drop? I mean, uh, what's in your the plan? next week or two, there, there's two songs from it are up on my YouTube channel right now. Um, con kid is I guess the first single or whatever from it. I put the video out for that a year ago or something. Um, and that's one of the first songs on the record. And then I dropped another video for a song called anything that you want done, which is also on the album. And I put that video out a couple weeks ago. So those two songs are there and those are as they will appear on the record. And then there's, I don't know, 15 other tracks, I think. Um, yeah, I'm excited about it. It's it's uh I love the I haven't unveiled the cover art yet, but I'm I'm well actually you can see part of the cover art. If you go to slyrecords.com on the front page, there's a picture that is gonna be part of the cover art. Um and then anybody that wants to follow you on Twitter, it's at walkinfuss wins on yeah, Twitter. You can check like walkinfusswins.com is my website, and then I'm on Twitter at walkinfusswins. And I think it's just youtube.com slash walkinfuss. The Conkid video is sick, and it's on the Walk and Fuss YouTube channel, which yeah. is tight. Uh, WalkandFussWins.com. There's so much awesome merch. Um, I bought a Walk and Fuss shirt. If you don't have one, you got to get one. You're just missing out if you don't have one. Sly Records. Check it out. The Stallion, the new record coming out. Yeah, I didn't even say that. It's called The Stallion. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast today. It's been awesome talking to you. And... Uh, Thanks, man. Maybe we can do this again sometime. I feel like there's like a ton of stuff we didn't even get to. And uh, I hope you get to talk to my brother. That'll probably open up some other stuff. And uh, I'm going to get you a copy of this record as soon as I'm sending them out. What I'm looking forward to is a, a video podcast, maybe even a mini doc of the CAC ensemble. I think it'd be tight. Uh, as soon as they let me fly again, I'll be coming to Portland. You know, maybe we should maybe we should talk about collaborating on something like that because... Like I said, I was thinking about doing something for the 20th anniversary of Coolest Cucumbers, and I've got this footage, but I was, I don't really have a great way to string it all together. Um, and if you wanted to do some interviews or do something like that, um, and then use, maybe we could weave some of my footage into, I don't know, we could talk about that. Bro, we just had a production meeting for the CAC mini doc, and that's exactly what it's going to be. It's going to be me with a two cam with CAC, you know, doing interviews in Portland, modern mm -hmm. day. We're going to splice together old footage, telling old stories. Bada bing, bada boom. Okay, let's just do that. I, I sh you know, uh, but that would be great because I that was actually something I was thinking. I was like, man, I want to put together this footage and, and do sort of a 
retrospective sort of thing, but what good is that if there's nobody there to sort of talk everybody through it, you know? And I actually would, I'd love to hear some of Mark's memories and uh, some of the other people that were involved too, because some of my memories are pretty hazy. <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, just hanging out at Chopsticks would get you. That's what I remember. But mm-hmm. The good old days. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we had some... We had some fun times at Chopsticks. Chopsticks was legit. Mm-hmm. Well, check it out. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Walking Fuss. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. That'll yeah, be- man. You too. It's been too long since we spoke, and, and this was fun. I'm, I'm, we'll put uh, links to everything in the bottom and uh, in the notes. And uh, yeah, check it out. Can't wait for the new album to drop, man. It's going to be awesome. Thanks, man. All right. Uh, well, that's going to do it. Thanks for listening to the 525 Records podcast, uh, 525records.com. We have the new Klaus Fluoride Dead Kennedy sticker up available. Um, it's pretty tight. You should definitely get one. And uh, yeah, check it out. 525 Records, Sly Records, walkingfusswins.com. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. That'll do it. And uh, until next time, thanks a lot.